Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to the third Sunday in Advent. Can you believe it's the third Sunday of Advent? Christmas is almost upon us and, and it is really beginning to feel a lot like like the celebration that it is meant to be. One of the things that keeps reminding me of, of the joy in this moment is going to the mailbox every day and opening up the numerous Christmas cards that you and friends from previous churches and other relationships from college, high school have been sending to us. Do, do you get that feeling, that, just that sense of excitement when you go and you open those cards and you're, you're, you want to see who it is? And you know, Morgan and I have a little game. We'll, we'll get the card and then we'll open it. We'll look at the picture, especially if it's kids, and we try to see if we can figure out who it is before we actually read the name. Because I'm a strong believer in genetics. And it is fascinating to see how often the genetic ties from one generation are to another. But sometimes just remarking on that can backfire a little bit. I remember once approaching a, a friend of mine and I said, I actually had met his son first and then I met him and I said, wow, you look just like your son. He said, actually, he looks just like me. <laughs> but isn't it fun to look at those Christmas cards and see how, how we reflect the, the images of our parents or they reflect the images of us or however you wanna describe that. There's that strong family, res, family resemblance that just makes that very special to, to share those cards, to share those pictures and all of that. Well, that's what we're gonna be talking about today is a very strong family resemblance. If you would turn to the book of Colossians, to the first chapter beginning in the 15th verse, we're only gonna read the first few verses through the, through the 20th verse, but this is an important passage, not just for Christmas, but for all time, because it describes Jesus as the image of God. So if you would look at verse 15, beginning in verse 15, of chapter one of Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I ended at the 20th verse. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we are gathered here today, eagerly expecting, eagerly anticipating, and always celebrating the advent of your son, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that your Holy Spirit would touch us directly and Lord, that we would see the glory that is yours alone revealed in your Son. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. 
A few weeks ago, I was in the grocery store with my daughter, Elle, just picking up some last minute items for Thanksgiving. And I was standing in the line with her at the checkout line and I noticed in the magazine rack, a special edition from Life Magazine. And the banner splashed across the front of the top of the cover of the magazine was this. It said, Jesus, colon, who do you say that I am? And this headline was superimposed over a painting of Jesus from the 16th century. Have any of you all seen this? Newsweek, Lifetime, all these U.S. News and World Report used to all do sort of a holiday edition of their magazines. And this is, I guess, the latest offering from Life magazine. But the question, who do you say that I am, is not one invented by the editors of Life magazine. It's a question that Jesus himself posed to Peter and the other disciples in Mark chapter 8. One day, Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. But then he asked them again, and this time he made it personal. But who do you say that I am? Using Jesus' own words, Life Magazine has found a clever way to ask the question and open a debate on this. Who is Jesus? Now here's what the lead article says. The lead article says that Life's editors have interviewed eminent thinkers, including historians, theologians, and clergy, clergy. We have talked as well with prominent public personalities who have had some good cause to contemplate Jesus, his life, his deeds, what he stands for, and what he means to them, and and what he means, perhaps, to us all. And the conclusion of the magazine's editors is this. To some, Jesus is the Son of God, the anointed, the Christ born to a virgin just more than 2,000 years ago, perhaps around 4 B.C., To others, Jesus is just a man, albeit a man who spurred through his teachings and exemplary life several faiths now incorporated into Christianity. And to still others, he's little more than a myth. Maybe he lived, they say, but his stature as a transcendent human being is a novelistic invention of Paul and the gospel writers who required a charismatic anchor for their nascent churches. He is, say some, just an idea. Well, as I read that answer from the editors of Life, I realized that's not really an answer at all, is it? That's really more of an opinion poll. And opinions are just like noses. Everybody's got one. So who is Jesus? We know what people say about him. But as we celebrate his birth once again this Christmas, we might ask... What does God say about him? Who does the Bible, God's own inspired and holy word, say that he is? At the time that Paul wrote the letter that we've read today, most people had never heard of Jesus. Those who had probably heard that he was a wandering teacher, even an alleged miracle worker who, like so many others, had been crucified by the Romans as a troublemaker. Nothing special 
but certainly not someone you would change, especially change your life, to follow. But then the Apostle Paul would say, he is so much more. And listen to what he wrote. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That one verse says three really important things about Jesus. First, that he is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word image here is the Greek word icon. It means picture. And so what the apostle is telling us is that Jesus is the very picture of God. You see, the incarnation, God becoming man, was an act of divine revelation. In other words, through the incarnation, God was revealing something to us. And the act of revelation is first and foremost an act of communication. And so through the incarnation, God was showing us who he really is. You see, Jesus is a picture that God is showing us of himself. Jesus is the picture that God gives us of himself. Why? Why would God give us a picture of himself? Because God wanted to show us who he really is. If you're looking for somebody that you don't know, one of the most helpful ways to find that person is to see a picture of them. If you're trying to connect with somebody or trying to connect two people, you show them a picture of one another so that they will recognize one another, so that they will know who the other person is. Well, Jesus is what God wants us to know about himself. Jesus is God's revelation of himself as God wants to be known. He's God's self-portrait. And the incarnation is God's way of saying, this is who I say I am. In the life of Jesus, we see God who inspired the songs of the heavenly host, but who was lowly and born in a stable. We see the God who deserved to be surrounded by the famous and the rich and the powerful, but chose instead to surround himself with the outcast, with the poor and the simple and the hurting and the lost. We see the God who could command the wind and the waves, but would not exploit that power to crush his enemies or to save himself from humiliation or pain. We see the God who could heal every disease, but who would not heal his own wounds. We see the God who could never be killed, who would give his life for our sakes. And we see the one who had everything give it up for the sake of righteousness and humility and love. Paul was saying, let me make this perfectly clear. That guy that so many people saw in the streets and on the countryside who slept on the ground and walked everywhere, the one preaching to crowds and reaching out to the unlovable, the one who was both hailed as a king and then a prophet and then nailed to a wooden cross as a criminal, that baby born in a manger, 
That man was God. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul's saying this is not just some bumpkin preacher or miracle worker. He was the one who separated the night from the day, who set the stars in their courses and brought humanity from the dust of the earth. He's not just another creature. He is the creator. Paul is saying Jesus didn't just make the world a better place. Jesus made the world. The real God that we cannot see has given, him, has given us an image of himself that we can see. Jesus is what God wants us to know about himself. As the author of Hebrews said, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But he is also the firstborn of all creation. What that means is this, that just as God wanted us to have a true picture of him, he wanted us to have a true picture of ourselves. If we look all the way back into the Old Testament, we will find another image, another mention of the image of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, Genesis 1, 26. When God created humanity, he did it to put a representation of himself into his creation. Among all the creatures, among all the formations, among all the, the veg vegetation, among all the phenomenon of the earth, would be this one species specially designed to represent him. In the unfallen world, the rest of creation would look up to humanity as humanity was supposed to look up to and adore God. Adam was what humanity was supposed to be, the picture of God in the world. But because of Adam's foolishness and his disobedience, fueled by temptation, the image of God was defaced and the world was thrown into the chaos of sin and nature became red in tooth and claw. But then the scripture tells us when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son into the world, not only to save us, but to show us what humanity was created to be. Jesus is the Son of God, himself, the image of the invisible God. But he's also called the Son of Man. Man restored to the image of God. Jesus is man as he is supposed to be. Jesus is the picture of what humanity is supposed to be and the relationship we were created to have with God. 
You see, he is what man was created to be and shows us also what through redemption man can be. That we can be the son of God, the sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God. Because he is son of God and son of man, one person. And that is why the early Christians called him the second Adam. Paul wrote, for as by, uh, as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I've been reading a wonderful book about the glory of God by one of our own covenant partners, Jonathan King, who is a, a PhD in New Testament studies. And, and he brought this quotation to my attention it's a quote by John Calvin, and, it says, and Calvin said this, the true nature of the image of God is to be derived from what Scripture says of its renewal through Christ. He says, now we see how Christ is the most perfect image of God. If we are conformed to it, we are so restored that with true piety, righteousness, purity, and intelligence, we bear God's image. You see, the mission of Jesus was to restore the image of God in humanity. Not just to save us, but to elevate us. To bring us back to that point where we were supposed to be. The very picture of peace and love and kindness and justice and righteousness and holiness and glory that we have lost. Why is that missing in the world so often? It's because we are not what we are supposed to be. And Jesus came to restore that image of God in the world in us. And so Jesus is not just the image of God and who God really is. He's also the picture of what humanity is supposed to be and what we are supposed to be when we are conformed to the image of his son, according to Romans 8, 29. Thus, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold the new has come. He is the firstborn of the new creation, the second Adam as humanity was created to be. And by giving us a picture of what humanity is supposed to be, he also shows us a picture of the relationship that we are supposed to have with God, one of total love, of total devotion, total trust, total confidence, and total peace. This is why he came. He came to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus came not only to show us who God is and what humanity is supposed to, to be, but he came to show us that God is not our enemy, that he is our father. And Jesus came to restore the picture of us as God's children. Finally, Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I want you to underline and circle that little word, is, here. This is not just about who Jesus was. This is about who he is. 
Paul was telling the people of his time, believers and non-believers alike, that this Jesus is, is presently really the sovereign power of the universe. He is the one who holds our lives together now and forever. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Just as the angels told the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. He is the living Lord. Several years ago, my, my father, Bobby Fuller, a longtime Presbyterian elder and teacher, wrote a devotional for my home church newsletter. It was a Christmas devotional, and it was titled, Happy Birthday, Jesus. I want to share this with you. Can I read this to you for a second? Here's what my dad wrote. He wrote, with Christmas, we tend to really concentrate on the birth, on the birthday to a far greater extent than it is our custom with the celebration of birthdays in general. The birth of Jesus, he wrote, is momentous. That event is singular in all history. His birth is worthy of celebration. There is danger, however, in focusing entirely on Jesus's birth. A tendency to worship the baby in the manger somehow fails to give full expression to the meaning of Christmas. Prophecy foretold his birth, but more, prophecy foretold the coming of the Messiah, the one who would be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The significant impact of Christmas cannot be seen in the baby's birth without a simultaneous vision of the Lord's resurrection. My dad writes, each of us celebrates birthdays of family members and friends. In each of these events, we celebrate the life of the honoree as it is now. We acknowledge our love relationship with our kin and friend in the present tense. And the emphasis is more upon the present day and less upon the actual day of birthing. Even in the instance of, commemor of commemoration of birthdays, our great dignitaries, uh, uh, the commemoration of birthdays of our great dignitaries, the central emphasis is upon the purpose and the significance of the life of the one commemorated and not upon the act of his birth. And here's the final paragraph. He says, on our son's 25th, uh, 21st birthday, that was me, we do not honor him by giving him the gift of a crib toy, nor on the anniversary of Lincoln's birth do we concentrate our attention on a backward, backwoods infant. Should we approach Christmas any less presently? Christ is here. Wherever his people are gathered in his name, Jesus attends his party. As Christians greet Christians with the accolation Merry Christmas, it is translated as Happy Birthday Jesus. But as we celebrate Christmas as the birthday of Jesus Christ, let's do so with the expectancy that he is at the party too. Not as he was, but as he is. He's not present as a helpless babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, but as the living Lord, so totally sufficient in himself that death could not hold him. 
Jesus is the living Lord. He is Lord in the present. And so we cannot allow our celebrations of his birth to be frozen in the past. Even though the world has many opinions about who God is, Jesus is God's way of saying, this is who I am. In Jesus, beginning with Christmas, God gave us the image, the icon, the picture of himself. When you pray, picture Jesus. When you are afraid, picture Jesus. When you are alone, picture Jesus. When you think of the fullness of God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, picture Jesus. And when you are afraid and think that God can't do anything or can't make a difference in your life, think of Jesus who died, but whom God raised to defeat death and fear and pain and poverty and everything else that suffocates our joy. And when you think that God doesn't care, think of Jesus, who gave up everything, was born in a stable, lived a human life with all of its ups and downs, and then went to the cross just to prove how much God loves you. From the infant in the manger to his nail-scarred hand. From the dark night in Bethlehem to the glorious morning of Easter, the image of God represented in Jesus Christ is exactly right. The family resemblance is accurate. He is just as he is supposed to be, and he is picture perfect. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, as we come to this Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of your son, help us to remember that he is still the living Lord, that he is the image that you have given us of yourself, who was generous in his humility, who was sacrificial in his love, but who will show himself to be glorious in his power and his truth. Lord, help us to understand Jesus as he really is, not just then, but now. We pray these things in the name of your son, the very image of the invisible God. Amen.